Abba Yahweh, thank you for this time to share your word, your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, Father God. For they that have an ear to let them hear and seek the truth, Father God, always your truth. Abba Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua, Aman, Barakitos, Aman. So in reading this morning, I'm, I'm inclined to uh, share this straight as it's written and the Holy Spirit is inclined to lead me that way so allowing that my thought process is correct. If it were not, he would tell me so and I would go in another direction. But this is important because I've shared it with you before and I pray every morning and every evening I'm going out and coming in for your boldness, uprightness, and righteousness to be courageous, to share the word, to give the word, to admonish if need to, exhort if need to. It needs to be done. We need to be bold in the spirit to stand upright and be courageous and speak the word. Not to, well, I don't want to go out. They're going to make fun of me. You know, I got kind of a hair lip and I got this and I got that. Moses dumped all sorts of excuses at the burning bush as to why he could not go back. And yet, God sent his brother Aaron, who was a more eloquent speaker, did not have a speech impediment, um, and could present what needed to be said in a better way. But God also admonished Moses. He said, you tell him exactly what I tell you. And it must be exactly as I tell you. And that is the only way that he's doing any of this and that it's going to happen. And it did. It happened that way. So the import is, brothers and sisters, that we have to deliver the word of God as he puts it down in truth. You don't twist it. You don't pervert it. You don't malign it. Oh, well, we've been teaching John 3.16 wrong all these hundreds of years that it's been in writing and actually God condemns people to hell. No, God does not condemn people to hell. Self-condemnation is also a powerful tool that is used by the enemy to refuse those to hear the truth to bear the truth, to understand the truth, to seek the truth, and they would rather hear his lies. And they fall prey. So they turn their back on the Lord. They don't want to hear it. And they don't want to read it. They don't want to share it. But if we are bold and courageous and upright in righteousness, we can share the truth to those who would have an ear. Remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus gave John a vision on the island of Patmos. And remember here in that book, and many translations at the top of the book, right under Revelation, is the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that telling you? That Jesus Christ, it's a revelation of him. It's not a book of the apocalypse and doom and gloom as so many, so many, so many declare it to be. They're not speaking truth. They're not speaking in wisdom. They're not speaking in even true knowledge. Knowledge comes before wisdom. Wisdom is a collection of knowledge, and they don't even have that in their library 
so they can even understand that it's not doom and gloom. It's not the apocalypse. What is doom and gloom about Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who came, was crucified for our sakes? How is it doom and gloom that he's coming back to take us to heaven? How? Explain that to me, please, so that I can understand how it's doom and gloom and that warning others of the enemy and his tactics and what he's trying to do, how is that doom and gloom? I don't get it. I don't get it. The Bible talks about it. Jesus warns of it. Peter warns of Satan. Paul warns us of Satan and his tactics. And and we are told by Paul in the letter that we are to have on the whole armor of God. Why would God make us armor if we weren't going to need it? Explain that to me too. And yeah, I see it as a metaphorical suit of armor. But if you don't have all the pieces in place, as any good warrior would do, going into combat. And we are told also in the Bible that this is a spiritual warfare for our hearts, our souls, and our minds. That's an important aspect right there because one of the primary ingredients or portions of that body of armor is the helmet of salvation. How is that so important? Because when the enemy comes in and tries to fill our minds with doubts and fears and all these things are that we grab onto, we hold on, we pull that helmet down tight and say, Jesus came for me. I don't need to fear all this stuff. Jesus came for me. (coughs) He came for my sake. He came to save me. We must be prepared. So I'm going to read this um, just as it was in my reading because this is important. Very important. So... Some of you may or may not know what a herald is. And no, it's not a newspaper owned by William Randolph Hearst, although it was. But a herald is an important official. He's an official. And back in the ancient days, he was an official member of a civic court. Um, Nowadays, I believe they call him a... um, forgot the word went right out of my mind. But anyway, it's the guy that stands up in front of the court and he's in the sheriff's deputy uniform usually and says, uh, you know, he'll say something like, oye, oye, the court of blah, blah, blah is now in session. All sit down, take out your gum and remove your hats. And then when the judge comes in, court is now in session, judge so-and-so, so-and-so, now reciting, please rise. And he gets everybody to stand up. It's a very loud, authoritative voice. That's what a herald is. And back in the day, it was an official member of the civic court. They had strong, authoritative voices so that they could be heard by the crowds. Because, let me tell you, I've been in some courtrooms and witnessed some things, and they get loud in there. They get to buzzing around because there's nothing going on, so they start to laugh. And when you have a room full of 125, 35 people all talking at the same time and saying something different. And it's uh, pretty loud. They also had a peacekeeping role, settling civic disputes. And as government representatives, the Herald also had a religious role since gods 
and governors were so intertwined. See, back in those days, they believed that, uh, especially in Roman and Greek theology, that the kings were, and also in Egypt, that the kings were godlike, claimed to be gods, gods incarnate. We have a lot of that going on nowadays. So, the verb from Greek, the Greek herald, made its way into the New Testament as proclamation or proclaim or preach. But the actual connotation of preach a word was different from announce the gospel. <clears throat> and um, as one of my favorite passages sharing in his writing here, is that when Paul told Timothy to preach the word, in his role in the church at Ephesus, he had the authority of the word of God in mind. So if you've read through and you know what Paul was doing there, because Timothy was the preacher at the church in Ephesus. And the letter that Paul wrote to him was to exhort him, to lift him up, because Timothy was actually having a difficult time there. There were many within the church that were teaching out of context. They were teaching without proper authority. They were teaching incorrectly, and they were just stirring up trouble. And they were purposefully making problems for Timothy. And his letter to him was to uplift Timothy and in telling him that he needed to convince the people of the right word of the right way to rebuke those that were causing the problems. He was to exhort those that were teaching and trying to help and with all long suffering and teaching. Just as a Greek herald spoke with his civic authority, the herald of God's word must speak with divine authority. So get up off your recliner, throw that lever down, get out and share the gospel as we are told to do. Or, on the other hand, you can sit there, pull that lever back, throw your feet up, and be the slothful, lazy, self-proclaimed Christian. Either way, it doesn't matter. Are you offended? Are your knickers in a real twist and you got a knot so that you can't sit comfortably? Well, then that's probably a good thing. Because I speak the truth and only the truth, Period. And God hasn't stopped me yet, and the Holy Spirit hasn't shut me down yet. So, and when I go off track, he does. I don't always share that with you, but sometimes he shuts it down because I'm not on the right path. And that's okay, because he's guiding me in the way that I should share the word. He's guiding me in the way that I should proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and his truth. And I like this writing because it's very, it's very powerful. Thank you, Pastor Jeremiah. Like the Apostle Paul, we should make known that we are not ashamed of the gospel. And remember that this is a word that's life transforming and a hope for the entire world. Paul writes to Timothy in his 
second letter of there exhorting him to be bold, to be upright, to be courageous. And we also have to be long-suffering in this because it's an important thing that we can't just be short-tempered and get upset with them and kick them out of the church or anything like that. Where is a better place for them to be? The better place for them to be is in the house of God. And that's where we have to be long-suffering. We have to be uh, long-suffering means patient, forbearing. I mean, there is a point, and the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what that point is and that you might want to let go and, and send them on their way. Or, But the Holy Spirit's going to guide you. Don't just do it on your own and decide that they're going to get the boot because you decide you want to do that. So, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, this is, this is good because this is how we all must be. This is what we must be. And Paul is writing to the church in Rome, which was surrounded and besieged, not only by the idolatry of the Greeks, the idolatry of the Romans themselves, the orgies and all those things going on, And these things were going on and on and on. So, here we have the testimony and the word of Paul in the book of Romans, in chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 15. No, actually, I'm going to excerpt a couple of things out of here. So, I'm going to actually start in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Remember who Saul is? Paul. His name was changed to Paul, but this was Saul. This was the one that Jesus knocked off his donkey on the road to Damascus. Knocked him on his backside in the middle of the road and then went and stood over him. And in his, in his authoritative voice, he says, Why persecuteth thou me? Quick refresher. Saul was burning out the churches and searching for those who were following the word of Jesus Christ. Later, they were called Christians. Why? Because they were wanting to be of Christ and like Christ, not just because it was a cool, hip thing to be called. Many still do that today. They think it's hip and cool to be called a Christian because it draws attention to them. So they write their, that name on a piece of tape and they slap it on their forehead and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But not in manners, not in sharing the gospel, not in teaching the word, not in any way, shape, or form, and they go to the house of the Lord to hang out, and they've turned it into a social club. They hang out by the baristas, and they play on the phone, and they giggle and chat with their friends, and they don't even go in and listen to the word being taught. That is truth also. Don't like truth? Then don't listen. They that have an ear, let them hear, as Jesus declared 
in what he shared with John on the island of Patmos and told him to share the exact same thing. And he was admonishing church. Only one church did he not have an admonishment for. Because they were doing what they said they were out set out to do. They were following the word. They were sharing the word. And they were teaching the truth. The others he had told them, I have somewhat ought with you which means that he had an issue. They were, he was trying to exhort them at the same time. He said, but there's a slight problem and I want your attention drawn to that. They that have an ear, every single verse included that. They that have an ear, let them hear. If you have an ear for the truth, then you hear it. And further in the book of Romans in verse five and six, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom ye are also the called of Jesus Christ. We are all been appointed that. We are all to share that word and that truth. We are to share that word and that truth. It is an important thing for us to be that that herald, that declarer of the truth. We are to be that declarer of the truth. So, I'm going to go back to 2 Timothy and in chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, people don't think that the mind has got play into this. But the mind is the weakest point of attack. The devil knows that. It doesn't matter what the level of your intellect is. It does not matter what the level of the intellect is. The level of the intellect, you can still have a weak mind. You have good knowledge, but you might not be wise. You're knowledgeable of math and equations, but you're not wise in anything other than that specific thing. And there are many people that exist that are like that. There are many that are like that. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God wanted that to be in us and part of us and to encourage and give us strength. And Paul declares himself to be a prisoner because he is so enwrapped and so in love with Jesus and the Lord and the gospel and the testimony of the truth. He's imprisoned by that. That's why he talks that way. 
there was a song many decades ago. Um, what was it called? The Prisoner of Love. And it was kind of a rocky, rockish uh, paraphrasing, but, you know, talking about being a prisoner of love. Can't remember who sang that. Is that Huey Lewis? Uh, I can't remember. I'm old, I forget stuff. But in the Bible, it talks about those that are uh, in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy because he was first in communication with him with this because Timothy was sharing with him that there were problems and things going on. So what Paul writes him in his, in his first letter, um, Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. This is important because he thought so much of Timothy. Timothy was so good and he was so wanting to be righteous or not. And Paul called him his own son in the faith and in the word. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And this was the problem that Timothy was starting to have because there were others there that were going outside the doctrine and truth of Jesus Christ and they were teaching false doctrine, false teachings, and it upset Timothy and Timothy reached out for... um, Uplifting. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogy which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is the faith so do. So these, they go on and they talk about where they come from and how they came to be and where their family is from and they go on about this thing. They just, it, what Paul's telling Timothy is that it just leads to more questions. It's not clarifying anything it just leads to more questions now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling desiring to be teachers not of the law understanding neither what they say nor with whereof they affirm. So they don't, what he's saying is that they just don't know what they're talking about. They're talking through their hats, which means that they have no idea what they're saying. They have no knowledge of what they're saying. They make things up and they're teaching false doctrines. And sadly, we have those in the world today that are supposedly leading these churches. And I refer again pardon me, I'm sorry. I'm referring to that pervert that got up there trying to say that, oh, we've been teaching John 3.16 wrong all these years. Excuse me. You're going to stand there in your audacity, in your fancy little gizmo and and that scarf thing that you're wearing. I don't even know uh, what church you're from. It doesn't matter. But you're going to stand up there on the podium and tell everyone down here, basically, You're turning and looking up at God, which you were cowardly. You didn't do that, actually. You were telling them because they don't have any knowledge of this. But you're telling God that he's 
taught us wrong and that he wrote wrongly. Excuse me. The word was with God from the beginning. It became flesh, became Jesus Christ, who manifests himself to this earth and crucified for your sake as well as mine. But yet you turn your back on God, you turn your back on Christ, and you say that God's wrong. You need to be repentant when you do something like that and really, really search, because if you do not, hmm, there will be consequences. And you're going to have to stand before God and explain why you called him a liar. Whew, that's pretty powerful. I would not want to be there. So when I share these words and I share what I share and God allows me to continue this platform, I do so in his truth and his knowledge and his wisdom and his grace to allow me to be a conduit all by him. Like I shared before, you notice that I took my name off the front of this thing. It, it did have my name attached because I thought it was melodious, but it's not my word. It's not even my platform. Once in a while, I will slip and say, oh, the platform that I do or my platform. And I'm immediately, God, forgive me. This is your platform. You're allowing me through your grace to share on it. <clears throat> and that's the bottom line. God gave this to me and he's allowing me to share here because he concurs with me that I can reach out farther. Let me share this and some of you may have been listening when I shared it before. I never would have thought in a million years that I'd be able to jump out on the sidewalk and walk and walk and walk, keep walking and get on an airplane or whatever. And now they make it so difficult to get anywhere to go over to some of these foreign countries. And I have actually had somebody reach out personally to me. I'm not going to share exactly where, but it's a Middle Eastern country. And shared that he was enjoying the word that I put out and sharing with his family because where he happened to live was a place where they shoot and kill Christians or they lop off their heads. And that is truth. It happens today. And if you doubt that, then you need to open your eyes and pay attention to what's going on around the world. That's, that's pretty dark. Simply for having faith and believing in God, they'd take your head off. This person reached out and said, thank you. I would never have thought that I'd be able to do that. And here God provided this platform so that it can reach out there. And I pray for his safety, strength, and encourage him to be still in the word. Uh, let me back up here. So in First Timothy... He's talking about not listening to all these things that they go on and on about and that it's not edifying, it's not, and it gives to more questions than anything. It's not uplifting. But he tells Timothy to be in faith to so do. And when he's talking about the uh, commandment that Shared, it says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of the pure heart and of good conscience and of faith, unfeigned. Don't be distraught. Don't be anxious about what's going on. Don't allow it to push you off the path. 
from which some have swerved, have turned aside unto vain janglings, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor wherewith they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for <clears throat> men's, and this is kind of confusing a little to some, but what he's saying is that the law is for those who are violating the law, who's doing all these things. Because if you're a righteous person, you're upright, then you're in obedience and in obedience and you're not going to have to worry about this, but you need to be truthful. Um, it's for them that defile themselves with mankind, <clears throat> for men stealing, stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So the doctrine of the word of God is in truth and that we need to be in obedience for these things. We're, we're in this world, not of the world. That's where that would come in to play quite well. Got to be of this world. We're here and man has turned it crookedly because they are following Satan's words and they're following his promises and those that are members of his minion rather than the truth going in that direction, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul just revealing that at one time he was doing all those things. And why was he doing it? Because he was ignorant. He didn't know. So he was just out doing what he was told to do. The Jews hired him. The Romans hired him. He was being paid from a couple ends there, and he was actually quite wealthy, doing quite well but he was burning out churches. He was bringing into custody those who were declaring the gospel of Christ and the Lord God. <coughs> Pardon me. But what he's saying is that the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> So this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We are all sinners. We all come short of the glory of God. But Paul is declaring that he was heading that charge. He was the chief sinner above all. He was declaring himself that because, again, he was burning churches or meeting places where people were going and some of them were homes as many do in 
many churches now, they have what they call life groups or uh, small group meetings. Folks that can't get to church, they go to a life group and they share the word. They, they share with one another. They teach one another. Um, and this is what he used to do. He used to go and find these things and then he would burn them. And he'd have soldiers with him or temple guards with him and they would arrest those who were sharing the word of God. I find that pretty piteous actually because you have churches that are very similar to that thing going on now. And I can't help but to refer back to that church where I had the encounter where they actually physically assaulted me and under the letter of the law what that <clears throat> pastor's ununiformed security guy did was assault. He assaulted in the house of God which is supposed to be but because it was their house it was okay and the uniform officers that were there turned and looked away. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking me out of there. <clears throat> of course, the uh, last word that he had was, do you hear me now? Yes, Holy Spirit, I hear you now. Eh, that's pretty, pretty sad, but there are churches that are like that now. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern of them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's trying to uplift Timothy. This charge I commit unto the son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. What he's explaining to Timothy is that they have those out there that put away their faith and they just go at it haphazardly. They go on their own and they go out making up things that they have no idea what they're talking about as he shared in the first part of the first chapter. And here he's telling them, he's telling Timothy, hold on to faith of a good conscience, be knowledgeable, be in the word, which have some having put it away concerning faith have made a shipwreck. They have no true faith. They decided to put the word away, put the truth away, and they have floundered and crashed the boat on the stones. They had a shipwreck. So it's also important here too that in the second chapter he tells Timothy at the same time, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We still have to pray for them. For kings and for all that are in authority. Um, there are some countries that still have kings, but it's also a Bible speak for presidents. And princes are for governors and regents. Some countries still have them. 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. And for this is a good and acceptable thing in the sight of God our Savior. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? Therein, right there, is contrary to that pervert that twisted the words up there and saying that we're teaching John 3.16 wrong and that God condemns men to hell. No, he does not. He does not. Men condemn themselves to hell by refusing to believe the truth, the knowledge, and wisdom that is imparted to them by godly men and women speaking the truth. And right here, to do these prayers and these things, it is a good thing in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So, Mr. Perverse, twisted, maligning the word of God, take that. Get on your knees, pray repentance, and ask God to forgive you for teaching false doctrine. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who, may, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Don't lift your hand in anger. Don't lift your hand in wrath. Don't strike back. It does no good except to continue the variance, the risiveness. And this is a thing that Satan loves to see. So you are in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in? Have the peace of the Lord. Have a good day.